You're listening to the Eurofolk Radio Network, and this is the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show with your host, Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm joined by John Denugent, who's got a fantastic history in white nationalism. He's been involved in many different aspects of this for many, many years, and I'm going to bring him up right now. John, are you with me? Yes, I am, and thank you for having me on your show, Andrew. Well, thank you so much for, for agreeing to appear. I mean, I've, I've been aware of your work for many years, and I always listen to you. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of Clay Douglas's shows, and you've been on with him for years, and I've listened to you on other different shows, so I'm really pleased that you've taken the time out to be on my show. And uh, we talked before the show about, um, as it's our first show, uh, going through really your, your background, and you kindly sent me your bio, which is on your website. Uh, and I mean, we can uh, talk through that and anything else that you wish to bring up uh, during the show. We've got just under an hour. So I'll hand over to you now and you can just introduce the, uh, the listeners to yourself. Okay, great. Well, thank you. And uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, uh, send my greetings especially to our, our British comrades. I'm very proud of my own British heritage. My ancestors uh, uh, came over in the 1630s from uh, old, merry old England uh, to New England. And uh, my grandfather actually, uh, replenishing the English blood, my grandfather was from Goole in Yorkshire, and he was a huge influence on my life. Uh, and he used to even make Yorkshire pudding on Sundays okay. for us. And uh, we, we'd, we'd have toast with Chibber's Old English Marmalade. And uh, so I was very aware growing up of, of my English and British uh, heritage. I also have some Scottish and Irish, and um, the name itself, Nugent, is actually uh, Norman, uh, Norman French. And of course, there was that little uh, unpleasantness in 1066, the Battle of Hastings, <laughs> uh, which unfortunately I've, I've run, done a major article about talking about really the, the dark and negative side of, of British life, which came about through the Norman Conquest. Because uh, as, as I have written very extensively, they borrowed money from the Jews for the conquest, and then they made the Jews their tax men. People don't realize, oh, you know, the Domesday Book of William the Conqueror, and they listed all the properties in England. Well, that was so the Jews could tax them. And uh, they, they, they put up castles all over England. They forced the Anglo-Saxons to work as slave laborers, building castles with moats. It was to protect their new lords from the people themselves. There was only one castle with a moat in all of England in Anglo-Saxon times. And then under the Normans, you basically had a foreign aristocrats ruling over the British people. And all the tragedies of England have come from, as far as I'm concerned, the Norman Conquest. But unfortunately, those are my ancestors. But the other thing, the positive thing about that is uh, that uh, it made Britain the great empire that it became because the Normans were really were Vikings who had learned French. They were simply Vikings and uh, a great seafaring people. And uh, England went from being a farming island, uh, just minding its own business and, and not involved with anybody, uh, into you know the greatest empire the world has ever seen until uh, the Jews forced the white British nation to give up its empire, which is a staggering tragedy. Uh, when, you, when you look at the rise of China and India and all in the Islamic world and so forth, you know, Britain was keeping all that under control while there was still a British Empire. And the white man was on top of the world. Um, the British, and of course you had the French and the Dutch 
in the Belgian and uh, Portuguese and uh, Spanish empires. So, a um, hundred years ago, you know, this was a, a white-ruled planet, and now uh, the whites are ruled by the third world. So, um, I have to say that the British Empire was largely because of the Normans and because of their spirit of conquest and exploration, leaving their little island, you know, that little jewel in the sparkling sea, in the North Sea. Um, but anyways, uh, I'm, I've, I've always identified very strongly with my British uh, heritage, and I've been involved with Jackson and British Renaissance in recent months as well. And uh, I try to really keep up on British affairs. Uh, my my father was a huge Anglophile and uh, a, a Britophile. He's He's been to, uh, he's played golf at St. Andrews, and uh, he'd always drink beef eaters gin. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, my, my stepmother was a, a Canadian, but a very Tory, uh, pro-British Canadian, and um, connected to the um, Americans who, uh, the American Revolution uh, left the 13 American, you know, British American colonies and fled up to Canada because they refused to revolt against, you know, king and empire, and they wanted to stay under the crown. And um, so they they left for Canada, and they're called the United Empire Loyalists. And lots of them actually just north of Vermont and New Hampshire, on the Quebec side of the border, you know, up there in Canada. And they're also in the maritime provinces of Canada, and they're all descended from the Americans who refused to participate in the American Revolution because they wanted to stay part of Britain. Uh, so, you know, I have a strong connection to that, and I, I think it's one of the great tragedies that uh, because of, uh, you know, the mistakes of, of the king at that time and of the Tories of that time and their arrogant position toward the Americans, that they didn't listen to their grievances because easily America could have stayed within the British Empire. Uh, most of the Americans were very favorable, very proud to be British. <laughs> they just had complaints about specific things, which were not listened to. Uh, so can you imagine how the world would be different if uh, the British flag were flying here and the, there were no United States? It was, who knows? I mean, maybe you would have had a, an arrangement where the, the, maybe the capital would have been, you know, for like five years in North America and the capital would then go back to London, go back to North America and back to London. And because you'd have a much bigger population and, in British North America, you've got you have 180 million white people, and you have another 25 million white people uh, heavily in British stock in Canada. So you've got 200 million in Britain. In terms of real people in British stock, I guess it's about 50 million. So um, it was a terrible thing for Britain to lose the United States, uh, and uh, I, I very much regret that because of my great respect for my. Uh, British ancestors, my British heritage, and my, my British uh, grandfather. By the way, um, while well, I'm still on this little tangent here, um, I, I did a, uh, a two-part video about uh, my late grandfather from Goul in Yorkshire and uh, my experiences, which were quite unnerving and uh, still uh, very pleasant to me because uh, 15 years after he died, uh, I had an encounter with him, with his ghost. And, uh, I, I, you know, it sounds crazy, but I'm not afraid to talk about anything that I think is important. And I absolutely believe in life after death. And uh, so I have a, an entire video 
uh, about that. And I still believe to this day that my uh, New Yorkshire grandfather is one of my guardian angels, a guardian spirit watching over me. And I, I believe very strongly in angels. I believe very strongly in the immortality of the soul and life after death. And um, I also believe, I'm not a, a classical Christian, but I, I do believe that at least 70% of what is presented as the teachings of Christianity is is accurate. Most of all, we are immortal beings. Uh, we are judged in how we lived our life. Heaven and hell are real things. And Jesus was a divine being sent down to try to liberate the human race from the Jews. That's, And of course, that's what Adolf Hitler also believed, that Jesus really was a real person. He really did perform it. And the Talmud also says Jesus was real. The Talmud says Jesus performed miracles. And so if the people who hated his guts admitted he was real and he did perform miracles, then I think Jesus was real and he did perform miracles. So I agree. Um, and I mean, on, on your site, um, whereabouts is that? Because I've just gone to your, your front page and uh, I've, you've got along the top, you've got the different languages people can access the site in. Uh, and so I've gone to English and then you've got a drop down news, race, faith, history, video, audio, key, essay, key essays and contact support. Is there anything that you want to draw the listeners attention to um, off sure. of this? Yeah, well, great. That's a great suggestion. I, in, indeed, uh, at johndenugent.com, I, <coughs> I have English, German, French, Spanish, Russian, Swedish, and then a whole separate chapter on the Mary Fagan, Leo Frank uh, cases, a very a spectacular uh, rape murder case. We could go into that as well. Years ago. Yeah, we yeah. can go into that as well and, if you like. Uh, and, and I'm the co-curator also of the leofrank.org website. And uh, it's an extremely important case. Uh, it was the first openly Jewish media campaign uh, to get a wealthy Jew off after raping and murdering a beautiful uh, Irish-American girl, reddish blonde hair. She was a factory worker, and he had had his way with many of his employees, this Leo Frank, and she refused to be molested by him, and he ended up uh, raping and strangling her. And then uh, all the Jews in the United States tried to get him off, uh, but he was convicted by a jury, and eventually, two years later, the top men in Georgia, with guns drawn, uh, invaded the prison where he was being held under life imprisonment and dragged him out, and uh, they hanged him from a tree. So it was the only time the American people actually rose up against the power of the Jews uh, and uh, took one. He was a powerful Jew, famous Jew, and, and just grabbed him and strung him up. And wasn't it that they... He, he should have got the death penalty, but he managed to get off that. And didn't the ADL get set up immediately after that case? Yes, um, indeed. Uh, he was found guilty, uh, in effect, through three juries. Uh, the coroner's jury, which voted for his arrest after seeing the condition of the body and various uh, suspicious things connected with Leo Frank, uh, the boss of this, little, of this girl, 13-year-old girl, who worked 55 hours a week for the equivalent of, you know, like a dollar an hour, uh, you know, like a, you know, two-thirds of a pound an hour, uh, 55 hours a week at age 13, and he'd had his way with, he'd also brought whores into the factory, and he was just a horrible, horrible man, but she stood up to him, and then he, he punched her in the, he punched her right in the face, uh, gave her a terrible black eye, she fell backwards against a machine, ripped her scalp open, 
Blood started pouring out of her head, the poor little girl. And then she fell to the floor. At that point, he realized, okay, this is serious. So I'm going to rape her, and then I'm going to strangle her. So that's what he did. Strangled her with a cord, left the cord tied around her neck. Just a hideous, horrific crime. And then he forced the black janitor to, to help him carry the body down to the basement of this pencil factory. Uh, but he was indicted by the coroner's jury, every county in America. You know, you have the coroner who examines dead bodies. Was it natural death? Of course, there's no natural death of a 13-year-old girl in the, in the pink of health. Uh, and then, um, or was it murder, you know, and, and whatnot, or accident? So uh, they voted for his arrest. Then the grand jury, uh, on which three Jews, it was a 24-man grand jury, three of the members of it were Jews, voted unanimously to indict him for murder. And then a, a, a jury of 12 um, unanimously voted that he was guilty of murder, and he was sentenced the next day to death, and this was 1913. Um, and then the, the Jewish war machine went into effect blasting the people of Georgia as anti-Semites and blasting the South as anti-Semites. And the, these people were shocked, shocked because there had been no serious friction between Jews and Gentiles in the South at all up until this point. There was no anti-Semitism. Uh, the, the Jews were very involved in setting up the slave trade, the Negro slave trade. Yeah. Uh, Jews supported the Confederacy. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, the whole American Civil War was a conspiracy by the British Rothschilds to break up the United States and then reabsorb it into their empire, which you yeah. know, the public is told was the British Empire. But That's the research really... I've got as well, yeah. Yeah, so uh, in any case, um, there was no friction between Jews and, and Southern white Christian people, uh, and then to be charged with anti-Semitism, he said, there's nothing to do with anti-Semitism. This vile creep raped and anally murdered, anally raped, oh God, it's horrible. I mean, he poked some hard object in her vagina and, and blood poured out of her vagina. God only knows. It's, it's just the whole thing is just really, really hideous. And she was a, she was a beautiful girl she was a fine Christian girl, went to church every Sunday. She had already ironed her white Sunday dress for church the next day. She was hardworking and quiet. She'd never dated any boy, although all the boys were crazy about her. She was really, she had beautiful blue eyes. She had an unusual hair color. It was auburn with streaks of, of blonde gold in it. And she also, you know, she was 13, but almost 14. And had a nice little body there. She was developing well. She was just you know, a Miss America type. <laughs> she was really, and she was not stuck up. Her beauty had not made her arrogant. She was just a creme de la creme of the white race. And this Jew really had the hots for her. Uh, she was afraid of him. And she asked uh, an older boy who worked at the factory to uh, walk with her to and from the factory because she was afraid of being, um, uh, of, of Leo Frank coming after her. Uh, and she wanted to always have a male around her when Leo Frank was in the building in the area uh, because he had come on to her many times and he had to other women and he'd threatened them with firing them if they didn't sleep with him or have sex with him. So that fact, sounds very uh, similar to the Jews in Hollywood today. I mean, if you look at um, uh, there was a story I read about Shirley Temple. They were always trying to get hold of her. And then Marilyn Monroe made that comment that when she finally won her Oscar, it was the last time she had to, uh, you know, perform a sexual act for Jews. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and, and basically the teaching of the Talmud is that, uh, you know, all Gentiles, us, you and I, and, and our women, we're, we're merely beasts. We're walking upright on two legs because it's for the convenience of the Jews that we are in a human form, but we're actually just clever animals. And, you know, God created us as the Jews' property. The earth was created as the Jews. Yahweh gave, you know, the the world to these Talmudic Jews. And the whole thing is insane and psychopathic and megalomaniac and paranoid and everything. But in any case, so I've been the uh, curator of the, co-curator of the Leo Frank site now uh, for a number of years. And I've, I've done many audiobooks on this. In fact, it's partly how I earn my money is I, I get paid to do audiobooks. I'm finishing a huge one now. And um, so anyways, after Leo Frank was lynched in 1915, um, and all the... Courts to which the Leo Frank legal team made appeals dismissed the appeals. I mean, he, he was so I say three juries found him guilty. Uh, he tried to shoo the, sue the sheriff, said there was a mob atmosphere, there was none. Uh, he just had incredible oodles of money at his disposal. Uh, it went to the Fulton County, which is the Atlanta, Georgia area, um, Superior Court. His appeal was dismissed. It went, they took it to the Georgia Supreme Court. Appeal was dismissed. Went to the U.S. Court of Appeals, dismissed. And twice to the United States Supreme Court, dismissed. Uh, and yet they said, a oh, mob atmosphere. Well, are they saying that a mob stormed the chambers of the Georgia Supreme Court? Why did they reject his appeal? Why did the U.S. Court of, Appe uh, Court of Appeals reject it? Why did the U.S. Supreme Court twice refuse to hear the case? Are people saying that mobs of Southerners took a train, a two-day train ride up to Washington, D.C., and were throwing bricks through the windows of the U.S. Supreme Court. So, I mean, even if there had been a mob spirit, and there wasn't, there was no mob spirit at all, completely invented, just like the, the Holocaust. <laughs> um, are they saying that the U.S. Supreme Court, they were, they were shivering in their boots, and their teeth were chattering with anxiety when they voted not to hear the Leo Frank. When you vote not, not to even hear a case, that means there's no merit to it at all. At all. Yeah. It's not even worth discussing. They wouldn't even listen. They said, the case, you know, we dismiss it. We, we won't hear the case. I mean, there's massive evidence. He did it. And he's a vile scumbag. <laughs> they didn't say that, but that's what everybody thought who was familiar with the case. And all the evidence was published. Uh, and then my final audiobook I'm just doing now is about how then all the Jews papers in the United States began a vicious campaign of attacking all Southerners. Oh, you know, we should have crushed them even more in the American Civil War and they're bigoted and prejudiced and barbarians and ignorant and backward and they shouldn't even be U.S. citizens. They should have a status even lower than the Philippines, which is then a U.S. colony, uh, a non-white colony. Because uh, they don't even deserve to be American citizens for their beastly act toward this young martyr, Leo Frank. Nineteen white female witnesses swore that he had sexually harassed them. People swore they caught him having oral and anal sex in his office with whores. And didn't um, his legal team try to pin the murder on the black janitor as well? Yeah, that's another thing. How could I forget? He, tried, you know, in the heyday of the Ku Klux Klan and segregation, 
and lynchings, which was especially from 1880 to 1920, uh, there was then as now, there was a problem of uh, black men raping white women. And um, the Southerners uh, were extremely, because it had a huge black population in the South. Some states were like a third black and so forth. And um, so, I mean, if, if a black was accused of, uh, with credible evidence of raping a white girl, uh, you know, they would just, they would just hang them. They would lynch them. In some cases, they'd douse them in gasoline and set them on fire. It was sort of a reign of terror, but it's because of the huge concern of black men raping white women, which is still a huge problem today in the yes. year 2016. There's 100 white American women a day are raped by blacks, and virtually no black women are raped by whites. And not to uh, mention the, um, sorry to jump in here, John, but not to mention yeah, yeah. The, the way that, you know, I still class it as rape, the fact that the Jewish media promote all this interracial relationships and they always portray the black man as, you know, the masculine man that the white women must go for, because if it wasn't for that propaganda, that wouldn't be happening. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's huge. It's part of the whole Jewish plot to genocide uh, our, our great race. But the uh, so to accuse, as Leo Frank did, two of his totally innocent black employees of having committed the the, the rape and murder was an, had he been successful with his lies it would have been absolutely their death I mean they, they were, you know certainly any jury would have sentenced him to death and to hanging but probably a mob would have burst into the jail and strung them up so he was I mean these are completely innocent loyal employees so he was not only a rapist and a murderer and a mutilator I mean you look at the photo of her dress there's all this blood down there in the crotch area it's just you know it's just extremely unpleasant to even talk about and, and, and when you see the photo you'll see it it's on com. i have some of the blog up right now the last two days in english i also write in french and german and in other languages but the last two blogs in english at com. it's tom watson october 1915 jews indict a state you see not just a state they in effect indicted Everybody in the South is being vile, bigoted anti-Semites and, uh, and lynchers and lynch law and barbarians and whatnot. So anyways, uh, to accuse these two black men was to try to set up their murder by lynching. And how despicable, how unbelievably despicable. Uh, I mean, this is not a man who would just take his medicine and go to the gallows and pay for his crime. And which, of course, you know, what, what Christianity teaches is the wages of sin is death. Had he accepted the death penalty and uh, let them hang him, uh, then he could have gotten some forgiveness from God, especially if he'd repented as well. He would have paid for his sin, paid for his rape, paid for his murder. Uh, but instead, they spent millions of dollars trying to get him off. They defamed everybody in the South and everybody in the state of Georgia, and especially they defamed this virtuous, wonderful uh, publisher, Thomas Edward Watson, who, by the way, was extremely proud of his uh, British ancestry, like many Southerners are. The South is, we really don't have a lot of German or Italian or Polish, you know, or, or Irish immigrants. Basically, the South of the United States, you know, Texas and Louisiana and Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi and Virginia and Tennessee and Kentucky is, is 95% people of British heritage. 
Scottish, Welsh, English, uh, you know, Northern Irish, and so forth. Uh, so uh, Thomas Edward Watson was very familiar with Shakespeare. He was a brilliant trial lawyer before he became a publisher. Uh, he um, was always quoting from the English common law. And uh, he was viciously attacked by the Jews, viciously attacked, called every name in the book. Uh, and uh, so I've, that's one of my main activities is, is writing about that. And, and anyways, but going back to your question, if people go to johndruger.com and the far left, it's English, and that's all my articles in the English language. And um, then a drop-down menu appears, news, race, faith, history, video and audio. I've done many videos. And then um, key essays. If people click on key essays and then go down under that category to uh, key articles, uh, there I have all my key articles on various uh, topics. Uh, and I'm, I'm known for really going well beyond uh, the usual message that especially American white nationalists say, which is, because, you know, we have freedom of speech in the United States because of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And um, so you can't absolutely say the Jews are cunning and evil and they're trying to take over the world and enslave everybody. Uh, and that's a standard thing that all, all white nationalists say. The other thing you can say is, uh, the, you know, the, the blacks are violent and stupid uh, and commit lots of crimes. Okay. I, but I don't, I'm not, oh, and then now you can add the Muslim threat. You know, violent, stupid, cruel, everything. Then you can add the pedophile scandal. So we've had two new elements. We've got like four elements that white nationalists constantly talk about. Muslims, pedophiles, blacks, and Jews. Okay, well, and maybe a fifth thing you could talk about is rehabilitating the Germans. You know, talking about the truth about the so-called Holocaust and was Hitler really the most evil man that ever lived and did he really want to start World War II and, and did he really want to enslave Britain and America? So... Those are the standard topics, but I go way beyond that uh, because these messages have not enabled us to come to power anywhere. And um, you know, as 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 you know, I've I've been very involved in the Captain Ramsey and his book, The Nameless War. Yes. And uh, you know, his group, which was fighting against Churchill and fighting to keep Britain out of World War II and to maintain friendship or at least neutrality towards Hitler's Germany. Um, you know, just all rounded up under Regulation 18B. And, you know, many of them were war heroes. And, and you know, the, the Duke of Wellington was one of the heads of the group. Uh, the 6th Duke of Wellington, and um, or the 5th Duke of Wellington. Uh, I think the 6th Duke was, was killed fighting the Germans in uh, Crete or somewhere down there in Greece uh, or uh, Cyprus, something. Uh, but, you know, had uh, Captain Ramsey, who'd been a a combat officer with the guards regiment in World War One. You had Sir Barry Domville, who'd been the head of all British forces in the Mediterranean, uh, the uh, uh, captain of a battleship, uh, and then he, uh, then he was the uh, director of the Royal Navy War College. Uh, so, mm. I mean, all these people were were were, were anti-Jewish and saying Germany is not a threat whatsoever. Germany is saying the truth about the Jews taking over our lives and uh, being in bed with the communists and funding communism and atheism and the destruction of Christianity and the destruction of the white race and all our, and all our freedoms. So Churchill, who I'm convinced was Jewish himself through his mother, 
Jenny Jerome. Yes. Uh, you know, he just had them all rounded up and held for four years without any charges. Uh, so, you know, it's clear to me uh, that we need a new approach. I mean, even when people learn the truth, I think for those of us, for the, the, the cowardly majority of the human race, I mean, the majority of people are not heroes. They're not natural-born heroes. Uh, they'll only do the right thing if they see everybody else around them is doing the right thing. Then they will. Well, um, I, 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 I agree with you, um, John. And, and just before we leave that point, you, I, I've I've read a lot of Arnold Lease's work recently. And um, hmm. one thing that came up in... I got some extracts from the fascist and gothic ripples, and there was clearly uh, antagonism between uh, the group that Lease was a part of and the Oswald Mosley group, and even to the extent that it, it documents in their stories of fights that went on between these two groups that are supposed to both be right-wing. Uh, my question is, do you know anything about that? And uh, also, what are your comments on the fact that, you know, going back that far, under the threats that they were under, the right wing still could not get on then? Well, uh, okay, I would say several things about that. Um, and we have the same problem in America, the American white nationalists, and the same problem in Germany. The same problem is in France, because I speak fluent French, and I, I know Vincent Renoir and, and, and Robert Forson, and I know they're saying the same thing. You know, uh, you, you're making sacrifices to fight the Jews. You're being hounded, fined, persecuted, jailed. And at the same time, your fellow comrades are, 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 are ripping you to shreds. And on the Internet, just every ignorant uh, scoundrel can get on there and just type whatever he wants. Uh, and, and so uh, two things. One, uh, there is a certain baseness in the human race. Is, is that, and it's, it's in the Catholic Church, it's actually considered a mortal sin, a sin which can send you to hellfire. It's, it's, called, a, it's called envy. You know, if, if one white nationalist is more famous than another, the others will attack him. Just because he's more famous, more powerful, has more supporters, more readers, more money, more whatever, more popularity. So they attack him for the lowest and basest of reasons. To me, we we are being charged at. We're being assaulted. The entire third world is attacking us. The Jews are attacking us. And, you know, so you should be standing up in your trench, aiming your rifle at the enemy and taking down the enemy. Instead, any white nationalist who attacks another white nationalist, suddenly, out of hatred, he rams his bayonet into the ribs of the soldier next to him. It's madness. It's moral insanity to attack another comrade. Don't, don't you realize if the third worlders and the, who are being led by these Jews, these orc-like third world, if they win, will all be genocided? We'll hear the shrieks and wails of our women being raped. We'll hear the screams of our children as their throats are slit. Don't we understand that it's a sin to attack our brother in the middle of a war? So, first of all, it's a tremendous moral failing, envy. And it's interesting, in the Catholic Church, they have venial sins, like, you know, like being late for an appointment or not paying a bill or, you know, not shining your shoes or not making your bed. And there's, there's the, the venial sins. Uh, they don't get you sent to hell in the Catholic Church. I'm not Catholic, by the way, but I just, I'm aware of it. I'm very interested in religion. Uh, and then you have the mortal sins, 
you know, like adultery, blaspheming God, uh, and, uh, you know, rape, murder, things like that. And, um, but one of them is envy. To hate another man because he's more successful or better looking or has more money than you do. Why? And, and it's the most, un, you know, Andrew, it's the most unprofitable of the mortal sins. <laughs> and that's out of the Ten Commandments as well, you know, not to cover uh, what your neighbor has. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, if I rape somebody, I might drive a few seconds of pleasure. If I murder my enemy, I might feel good about it for a few minutes. But how does envy, it doesn't even make you feel good. <laughs> yeah, you know, you steal, yeah, actually, yeah. You've got the guy. I, I, it's funny, I say to people, um, and, and I just developed this recently, say, for example, you've got something at work and there's, you know, you're under investigation for whatever issue and um, you're going to hear back in a week's time. And I just say to people, you've got to forget about it for that time because you can't do anything. Say you're waiting for, I don't know, um, results of a medical test that you're worried about. I know you're going to think about it. And I know if it's me, I'll think about it. But I've managed to train my mind these days to say, look, I can't do anything until that day. Now, if that day I get bad news, it's going to affect me no better or worse thinking about it now. In fact, it's it's only going to make me feel worse because I'm going to be worried. But there's no point in worrying about something that you have no influence over. Yeah, well, I think that... Uh religions, whether of the East or the West, that teach people to focus and to be serene, perform a great service. And uh, some people who don't understand the concept of God or whatnot or the importance of the whole thing think, well, religion is just a bunch of doctrines. No. A true and valuable and useful religion will enable you to focus on higher things and eternal things and see the the worries and anxieties and passions of the day as fleeting, ephemeral, passing thing. We need to worry about what we have done with the life that God gave us. And, you know, we could die at any moment. It's like, you know, it's an Egyptian airplane just went down apparently in the Mediterranean somewhere. Yeah. At any moment. It just crossing the street. You could be hit by a truck, a lorry. You yeah. Know, and then it's over. And then you're standing before the angels and before God, and they say, so what have you done with the life we gave you? What did you with all those decades that you had? Did you I, make the world a better place? And I, I can, I mean, I, I think on this note as well, I mean, what I try and do on, on the show is, is really the guests that I have on are people that are Jew wise and believe in their race. And so it's not, it's all of us against the Jew and I'm going to team up with the blacks and the Mexicans and the Pakistanis and all that. They recognize that part of our problem or the main part of our problem really has been that we failed to stand together as a race. And they also recognize the main people, you know, that have orchestrated this chain of events are the Jews. But the white mm-hmm. race themselves have participated in, in it by, by not, I mean, Adolf Hitler is a case in point. All he really said was it was national socialism. It was racial socialism. It was, it was the white race mm-hmm. sticking together. And um, when they do that, and they look, they look beyond whether someone's a Catholic or a Protestant or whatever, and they actually see that it's the racial thing and the other bits that we can split hairs about later. Look at what they can achieve. And, I mean, I know that you've... And, and I had a look at this as well, and, and uh, I'd like you to bring it out. We talked about it before the show because I was a bit worried with... I, I've got identity listeners because I know that you... Um, 
of, of worked on, on putting together a religion. But I looked at the points that you put in there, and I would see more of a moral code. And I think it's a good point in our discussion to introduce what these points are, because you've basically just said, you know, what are you going to do if, let's just say someone has a heart attack now and they're, they're, they're facing facing God, or as we say, Yahweh or God or whichever people want mm-hmm. to call it. Uh, and so if you go through your points as to what you see as the that you've developed into this religion you're working on that's basically also a moral code. Well, yeah, it's, it's, the point is not doctrines. The point is uh, to, to live a noble and heroic and self-sacrificing life and, you know, it's also a smart thing for your happiness because people really feel good about themselves deep down inside. You, know, you can eat an ice cream and gobble it down until you get a headache. Yeah. <laughs> and you, can, you, you can drink five beers and, and feel good until the alcohol hits and you get a splitting headache. Uh, you know, you can have sex, but how long does the, the rosy feeling of the orgasm last and whatnot? And then, then you may have a crabby wife or a girlfriend after that and then... There's all kinds of problems, but the what the real deep serenity and happiness comes when you know that you're a hero, and you're fighting for our race, and, and you're you're carrying out your obligations towards our ancestors, who created our nations, England and America and Scotland and Germany and Sweden and France and whatnot and Canada and we, you know, they built up our nations. They fought and sweat. And to create them and their freedoms, and we and and we have taken the torch out of their hands, and we are passing it on ourselves to the next generation, and it, it's that deep inner satisfaction. I'm doing the right thing. I'm sacrificing. I'm being persecuted, and I mean, my entire family's ostracized me, radically written me out of their lives. I've suffered a huge amount, but I have this inner peace that I am doing my duty. To the best, I I hope to the best of my ability. I always ask myself, is it to the best of my ability that I'm acting and saying and doing what I am? And I always find ways to improve it. But I I really, what religion says is any true religion, regardless of the details, whether Christian identity or, you know, establishment Christianity, um, Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, whatnot. I I don't consider Judaism or Islam to be legitimate religions at all. I consider them to be psychopathic cults. Yeah. Uh, And so I don't consider them religions. I consider them to be savage death cults, uh, full of hatred. Uh, But but there are various... And, and, you know, the Sikhs, there are good things about the Sikhs also. Uh, And, and, you know, different branches of Buddhism and different branches of Christianity. Uh, I like Orthodox Christianity. And by the way, they're good on the Jewish question, very good on the Jewish question. Uh, they haven't. They're they're very conservative about morality. So, anyways, uh, the point is, you will answer for the life you led. Uh, now, in my case, I uh, I felt very early on something very strange when I was five years old. Um, I was up at my grandparents' place. Uh, we went up every Sunday after church. Uh, in the state, state of Rhode Island, which my ancestors founded, Thomas Angel. I'm descended to both my mother and father in different branches from Thomas Angel, came over in 1635 from England with his uh, master, who was Roger Williams. Uh, they originally went to the Puritan colony of 
uh, Massachusetts, but it was way too intolerant. And just like the English people got tired of the Puritans, well, people in New England also got tired of the Puritans. So they moved down and founded Rhode Island for freedom of religion. As long as you were a Christian and believed in, in Christ, you could live in Rhode Island. They didn't, you could even be a Catholic, which was shocking at that time to tolerate Catholics as a Protestant, but they did. Uh, they wouldn't allow Jews, though. You had to confess Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior. Then you were allowed to live in Rhode Island. So my ancestor, Thomas Angel, founded that colony. As long as you're Christian, any Christian could live there. Uh, and um, anyways, the uh, so I was, I was up there at my grandparents' place in Gloucester, Rhode Island, and I, there was a stack of paintings and all framed. I, I guess maybe they'd been taken out of somebody else's house when the house was sold and brought there. Just a stack of paintings. I was looking through the different paintings, stacked up, a little bit dusty. And I found one f frame were rather interesting. There was a stamp in it. And the stamp, I had no idea about anything. I was just five. And it, was, it said Deutsches Reich on it. And it was a picture of a man with a dark mustache. The German Reich. It was the standard letter stamp for a third Reich. Really? <coughs> you know, third, you know, first class letter. Yeah. To mail a letter to somebody. <coughs> and Hitler was the head of state. So there's a, just like, you know, you got pictures of the Queen on British stamps. <coughs> there's a picture of Hitler on the German stamp. He was the head of state. And I looked at it and I was just mesmerized by it. And uh, my father had been a combat non-commissioned officer and uh, officer in two wars for the United States Marine Corps. Very strict father. Uh, good father, but very strict. And um, meantime, it had gotten dark, and it was time to go home. Either the next day, Monday, would be school, and my dad would be going to work. And, you know, so it was time to go home and get the children to bed. So there's only five. <coughs> so I visit with my... Um, grandmother, who was of pure English ancestry, um, her maiden name was Angel, and uh, my grandfather, John Thomas Caldwell, originally Coldwell, by the way, in England it was Coldwell, uh, from Goole in Yorkshire, and by the way, his ancestors had been in the Coldstream Guards, served for centuries in the Coldstream Guards, uh, and you know, the, but it was time to say goodbye to the Yorkshire pudding and the Chivers Old English Marmalade, <laughs> say goodbye to the grandparents, get in the car and go home. My dad was kept calling up the stairs up to my uh, bedroom uh, at my grandparents' place because we'd come, sometimes we'd spend the weekend up there. Uh, and um, finally he came clomping up the stairs. He says, John, didn't you hear me? And he says, I've been calling you for 15 minutes. He says, your mother and your brother are in the car. Let's go. And uh, he gave me a whack on the side of the head because I'd never... Uh, not, you know, hearken when my father uh, called me on something. I mean, I was, I was afraid of him. I mean, he was just a strict guy. It's, you know, having, my dad had a, a, a Smith & Wesson uh, thirty-eight caliber pistol with five notches on it from people he killed in the trenches. Chinamen, usually, in the Korean War. I mean, my dad was a killer. And he had a chest full of ribbons and, you know, the Marines, just like the Royal Marines, you know, uh, they don't just hand those out like candy for shining your shoes right. It's for being in combat. So I, I really would never ignore my father, if my, especially if he spoke sternly to me. My God, no. I mean, he'd spank you and beat you, you know. And yeah, I was just 
everybody was afraid of my dad. He was a war hero, and he was also an impressive guy. My father, he was a friend of President Nixon and President Reagan, very close friends, uh, and so forth. So, anyways, to make a long story short, I completely ignored my father, and he came up the stairs, shocked that I was not listening to him, and, and that everybody was in the car, the engine was running, and, and, and John was still upstairs. What, what, John, what are you doing up here? And I was staring at this frame out of Hitler's tale. Uh, and uh, I know Christian identity people, you know, are, do not believe in reincarnation, but I had, it was a moment for me where I felt some sort of cosmic, I had to find out who this man was. And I have, I'm only one sixteenth German. I have a great grandmother from Germany, but I'm otherwise a hundred percent British. And there was no pro-German atmosphere in my house. In fact, my father was just, he loved everything about Britain. And he would read books about Winston Churchill. And, uh, you know, he was just uh, everything British, British, British. Very proud of our British ancestry. And there are many Americans who are proud to be English or, or, or British or Scottish and whatnot. Welsh and Cornish. Uh, and my father was one of them. So there was no pro-German atmosphere. I didn't even know that I was one-sixteenth German. <laughs> I didn't even know it. Nobody even told me. I mean, Germany was the enemy. My dad fought in World War II, although he fought the Japanese. He didn't fight in Europe against the Germans. Uh, all the United States Marines were in the Pacific fighting the Japanese. Um, in any case, so he saw me looking at this thing, and I'd been reading since I was one, which is another story. Uh, I as precocious child reading since I was very, very young. And see, he saw me looking at it, and he raised his finger and waved it in front of my nose and said, John, that was a very bad, bad, bad man. And he gave me another whack on the side of the head and said, now get down in the car. But see, I've been, been reading books since I was one. And see, he says, John is somehow latched onto Adolf Hitler. So it's one of those myst mystical things. I was mesmerized. I was hypnotized. Who is this man? And this isn't English. Deutsches Reich? What does that mean? You know, I, I was not even aware that other languages existed. <laughs> and I had to find out who this guy was. So, uh, you know, I absolutely believe this is a mystical universe. Uh, we come into this world... Uh, with things we're supposed to do and work on. And every man is summoned to be a hero and defend his race, nation, and the women and children of his country. And, and uh, I felt that tingle from that moment on that I had to find out who this guy was and why my dad was so angry about him. And that began everything for me, uh, Andrew. So I absolutely believe we are souls in human bodies and, and God expects us to find out the truth and then take action based on that truth. I mean, I agree with that point that uh, I always say to people that you may know, um, you know, I may agree with, with an individual out there that uh, believes as I do, studies as I do, but the, the main thing is, is to take action and that action can just be spreading the word. Um, it doesn't mean you have to go out and do a radio show or write a book or what have you. If you listen to something you like, if you like what, you know, John is saying today, then just, 
you know, email the link over to someone and say, listen to this. And then the, the, they they may already be aware of this, but they might end up emailing it to someone who's, you know, completely mainstream. And this might be the, the um, show or John might be the person that wakes that person up from believing all the mainstream media. Uh, and so... I've always said that someone that it's difficult to equate, but say there's someone out there who thinks that they're all um, spiritual and pious, what what have you. They go to church every week and they believe that they they know good and evil and they're good and what have you. Um, if they don't actually use their time to teach others or spread some sort of word, what service have they actually done here apart from use up valuable air? Exactly. Uh, you know, there is the real danger, too, uh, and it was especially acute with the Alex Jones uh, sort of message, which is that you can just become depressed by learning all these truths. If you yeah. don't do anything about it, you say, boy, are we screwed, you know, are we doomed? You know, the Jews control everything, and then the Muslims and the blacks are going to rise up one day and, and, and slaughter us. And, and you, then you, you find yourself, you start drinking and eating, and you become lonely, and you become weird. And uh, you walk around with this dark rain cloud <laughs> yeah. raining down on your head the whole time. So, um... I, I mean, John, I had experience of that through actually reading my own book. And what it was was um, I'd uh, put the Synagogue of Satan together originally in 2006, but then mm. I updated it, and it's now two and a half times the size of the original. Put all that together, that went out the start of 2012, and then about 18 months ago, I thought, I'm going to sit down on the holiday and I'm going to read it. And it was just one <laughs> of the, you know, I'd, I'd obviously looked at it, putting it together and things like that. But actually to sit down and read it as a finished book in my hand, like I would be reading a book. And it just depressed me so much because, of course, all it is is a chronicle of Jewish crime against us going all the way back to you know, 740 AD with the Khazarians and, and all the way through the Magna Carta and, and various different things right up until the end of 2011. And you just see their power grow all the way and you think, well, what is the solution? Um, and you can get yourself trapped in that type of um, mindset because this information to, I mean, I used to like nothing more than listening to lots of different music. That was what I would do in my spare time. I'd stick my headphones on with music. As soon as I started hearing stuff like this, I stopped listening to music and I was always listening to audio interviews with different people, find the people I like. Oh, they've got a new show. Oh, great, download that, listen to that. And so that was all I, I started doing. And then it can change you because you're either working or you're listening to this. And, you know, unless you've got a job you absolutely love, then all the time you're going to feel un, un, under the cosh, so to speak, because you, you feel no power or enjoyment when you're working. And then in your free time, when you're supposed to be unwinding, you're getting more stressed with the information that you're being bombarded with. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, my, uh, my strategy now is to create uh, a sort of new old Aryan religion. And uh, I am not at all anti-Christian. Uh, I, I absolutely believe, as did Adolf Hitler, and he talked about this a great deal in private. He didn't want to discuss any religious issues in public, because, you know, the the Germans, just like the other European peoples, had had various religious wars between Protestants and Catholics with horrifying consequences. And the worst case of all was actually Germany, the Thirty Years' War, and a third of the German people died, Catholics slaughtering Protestants and back and forth. So... 
Uh, he didn't want to do anything that would divide the German people. He wanted to unite the German people. So he never talked about religion. He just said, you know, I'm, I'm carrying out the will of the Lord. And he would quote Jesus about the Jews and whatnot. Uh, but he just kept it simple. I want to, and in fact, he was planning on, on banning cigarettes. But he says, after the war, we'll do that. We want to cut back on alcohol and drinking, too. We'll, after the war. First thing, let's be united and let's win the war. You know, and so anything that would disturb people and that feeling of brotherhood that the Germans needed to, to you know, with the whole world, the British Empire was fighting them, the United States of America, the Soviet Union, my God, they had enough on their plate to deal with. So, but privately, Hitler talked a great deal about religion. Uh, Hitler believed absolutely in the immortality of the soul. Uh, he absolutely believed... Uh, it, that Jesus was a not just a human being or a good teacher, but that he was a very powerful, significant figure. Uh, Hitler personally believed uh, that that Hitler that uh, that Jesus was part Celtic. Uh, Galilee, there's some evidence uh, that Celts, you know, just like you know the Celts in Ireland and in Scotland and Wales or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, half of the English people actually have Celtic genes, you know. And that's where you get your red hair and the way Prince Harry looks and whatnot. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of Celtic just in the English as well as the Scots and Irish and uh, Cornish and whatnot. Um, but uh, the, the Celts were also in France and in southern Germany and Austria, where Hitler was from, especially the dark hair and blue eyes. That's a classic Celtic thing. And, but there were also Celts in what is now Turkey. Galatia is a New Testament book of, you know, Paul's book. epistle to the Galatians. Yeah, Galatians. Galat, yeah. Galat is Celts. Yeah. You know, I mean, Celts, red hair, people with kilts and drinking whiskey <laughs> and, and uh, you know, bagpipes and the whole thing. Uh, the Tocharians were Celts. The Aryans in what is now Western China, uh, the, the Uyghur area of Western China. But there was, so Celts have been all over. And there's some evidence that Galilee was originally a Celtic era. Galil uh, was originally, it was called Galil HaGoyim, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. It was considered a non-Jewish area. And um, Hitler speculated, he says, we just can't know anything about Jesus. And he died 2,000 years ago. There, originally, it was considered just a tiny little sect. And it was ignored by this the Roman and Greek historians. And then, of course, you know, the Roman Empire fell. A lot of the books were burned and destroyed. So we just don't know the facts from secular history about who Jesus was. But he believed it's certainly possible that his father was this Roman centurion, which is a Roman, you know, like a captain in the Roman army. And he believed that his mother was Mary, was obviously was raised in the Jewish culture. He says, but his... His spirit was completely Aryan. He's denouncing wealth and the search for wealth. He's denouncing the thirst for vengeance and envy and uh, the whole hatred of Gentiles. Because, you know, there's the famous case where, uh, uh, you know, Jesus talks with a Samaritan. You know, and the Samaritan is shocked. You're a Jew. Why are you talking with me? Don't you know that you're not supposed to talk with us? Do you consider us to be unclean and whatnot? And Jesus talks with Romans, uh, and he actually, by remote control, heals the slave of a Roman officer. 
so he's healing Gentiles. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think the thing is, of course, there's all these mistranslations um, that they sometimes they derive Jew from the tribe of Judah, which he was. Uh, but that's another sort of issue uh, yeah. in the sense of, you know, we know that he wasn't a Jew when um, he says in John eight forty four he says, you know, year of your father, the devil. Um, yeah. And I mean, if, if, and he's speaking to, then he cross-referenced that with, uh, I think, the book of uh, Matthew. And uh, you see he's speaking to the Jews, the Pharisees, and all the Jews collectively. And, of course, um, you know, if uh, Jesus was a Jew, then he his father would be the devil too, wouldn't it? So it's all these little things like that that you find. But So secretly, Jesus, secretly Adolf Hitler was very pro-Jesus. But he had a scientific mindset. And, you know, the Germans had a fantastic science and still do today. And he just said, we, there's so much that we, we technically don't know. You can sense or suspect and believe this or that if you want. But what he said, I am certain that Jesus was an advanced being who came down to free us f- f- from enslavement to the Jews. That's what he said privately to his friends. That's... So I don't want to hear that, you know, Hitler was a pagan. He was going to crush Christianity. No. Absolutely not. Exactly. Um, we've just run out of time, John. You've been absolutely fantastic today. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing all your knowledge. I know there's a lot more, and I'd like to invite you back on in the future. Great. It was my honor. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I'll be back with you all soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Andrew's book, The Synagogue of Satan, is now available on his website, andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com, in an updated, expanded, and uncensored edition.